In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today in the kingdom of God, we celebrate and remember so many things. We celebrate those in our community who have graduated from one level of academic schooling to the next, or even out into the world. We have a late celebration of the anniversary of Rick and Angelo, even as we grieve their departure to Texas. We remember Memorial Day, even as we grieve the loss of those who have faithfully died. We celebrate the ending of the program year with our last seasonal evensong today at 4 o'clock. Today is Rogation Day, clearly a sermon for another day. All of these moments are to differing degrees at the heart of our Christian lives, at the heart of our understanding of the kingdom of God. They are occasions where we often invest a great amount of our joy and our love. There's something perplexing to me and difficult at the heart of the Christian faith. This perplexing something is the central value of the kingdom of God, the primary identifying characteristic of the Christian church at its best, and the clearest picture we have of our relationship with Jesus and his relationship with us. At the same time, this perplexing and difficult something that is at the heart of our faith is both the best description we have been given of who God is and the clearest commandment our Lord gives to us. It's a quality or a type of relationship, and it's proclaimed as the greatest and the strongest, and the most persistent gift that we are given. It's what the gospel today talks about. The English word is love, and that's really a shame. The early church was smarter than we are, and the early church knew that this difficult and perplexing quality of relationship was a new thing, It was her thing. It was the church's thing. And it was revealed by Christ, and it was revealed in Christ. So when the early church talked about this new thing, she pretty much invented a new word. The church took a seldom-used, vague, and antiquated Greek term and used it to describe what the church was talking about. That Greek word was agape. Agape. And the advantage of doing this was that every time the church used the word, people knew exactly what it meant, knew exactly what the church was talking about, and they wouldn't really know what it meant until they were in the life of the church, in the life of Christ, with God, learning what the goal of being a Christian and what the greatest power that has ever been or will ever be in all of creation. So it meant that, and it meant nothing else. There was really no other meaning for agape. And this was really handy because it avoided confusion, and also by doing this, people in the church would 
get to know Christ through agape, and we haven't been that smart. You know, we took that precise and specific Greek word agape, and we ended up translating it into one of the most vague, most misused, and abused words in the English language. We call it love. A word with a million meanings. So most of the time when we hear the word love and we think we know exactly what it means, we, we, we most certainly don't. Instead, we're probably confusing agape with one of those million other things that the word love means in English. So we hear Jesus saying, if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father. And we actually think we understand what he's talking about. I mean, after all, we love our new cars, right? We love chocolate. We love our spouses. We love our partners. We love our kids. We love to go swimming. Romeo loved Juliet. Han, Leia, Piggy, Kermie, Jack, Ennis. Antenna TV tells us everyone still loves Raymond. And judging from bumper stickers, we love every conceivable breed of dog and cat in many seasons, or at least we heart them, which I guess means love. But none of that has any real connection to what John is talking about when he says, God is love. Or when Jesus is commanding us to do what he commands us to do, to love him and to love one another. So when we love in any of these other ways, we're not keeping the Lord's commandments. We're not imitating the nature of God. And it's not our fault. We just don't get it. Well, the word is a problem. And the King James Version of the Bible, of course, if you remember, it used the word generally charity instead, which has some advantages. At least it's not erotic, and it's clearly voluntary. Uh, but nobody comes back from a long weekend and says, God, I'm so happy I'm in charity. And for the most part, other nonprofits have kind of taken over that word, so we're, we're kind of stuck with love. But I wish we weren't. Because all this is to say that when we hear the word love used by and about Jesus Christ— about God and about Christian community, we, we can't automatically assume we know what it means. Because ordinary English language seldom gives us a hint of what the Bible is talking about. Yet this peculiar and difficult and perplexing thing is both the purpose of our life and it's also the way to the purpose. There's only one way to learn what the Christian faith is talking about when we talk about love. There's only one way to discover which of all the different experiences we have really experienced that mean love in this sense. There's only one way to know what the commandment is and what has been commanded by our Lord, which is to love God and to love each other. There's only one, just one way. And we can learn of love, we can learn of Christian love. We can learn of what agape is just through Jesus. It's only from knowing him. It's only from knowing what he said. It's only from knowing what he did, knowing who he was, knowing who he is, that we can really know what love is. And until we realize this, until we know that 
Jesus is the way for we as Christians to know love, we'll miss the mark. Because the call to love is a call to Jesus to know him, to live his life, and to walk his path. And Bibles, they help us, theologians, they help us, living examples, saints, others great in the faith, they can all help us, but it begins here. It begins in this holy place and that of other faith communities around the world where we gather as the body. Because you see, the truth of the matter is there's no single and precise definition of Christian love, of agape. There's instead a single person. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus who lives it, Jesus who shows it, and Jesus who gives it so that we can show it and live it and give it. You know, last week in our gospel, we heard Jesus say, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Well, so says the Lord to the church. But what does that love mean and what does it look like? You know, to discover this, we have to look at Jesus and we have to look at him in his totality. And when we do that, I think the first thing we see is that it has nothing to do with how we feel inside. It's about how we choose to act. It's about what we do. See, we know that in part, love looks like turning one cheek when the other has been hurt. We know it looks like going two miles when one mile is unfairly asked. We know it looks like offering prayers in response to insults. We know from Scripture it looks like a father welcoming home a son who was lost, like paying a full day's wages to someone who shows up the last hour before quitting time. And it looks like rejoicing in each of these things. It looks like losing our lives in hope of finding them. And it looks like obedience to God who will tell us neither the specifics of our task nor the consequences of our faithfulness. And it looks like all of that and much, much more. But really, finally, and in its clearest sense, it looks like this. It looks like God's people in community, surrounded by the word being proclaimed, the word being interpreted, the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and, and, and it looks like the cross. And for those within our tradition who say, I want a little more um, joy and a little less cross, well, if we're looking at anything less than the cross, we're looking at something less than Jesus. Is it any wonder that we're six weeks away from the resurrection, and all of a sudden, this far into Easter tide, we've been slingshotted, we've been slingshot, we've been hurled, we've been hurled back to the cross? And all of a sudden, here we are again, we were in the resurrection, we were in the celebration, and then Jesus brings us back, and our church brings us back through the lectionary to this point of, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die. And not recognizing that mocks him, and it mocks 
the word. This cross is a symbol of God's love to us. It's a symbol of what it means to love each other. And we won't find that on bumper stickers. We won't find that in eight-part series finales. We won't find it in filling ourselves with one more short-term energy-relieving behavior. We won't find it in excessive shopping or drinking or eating or exercising, but it can be found because it is here in God's community as the Holy Spirit swirls about to us and through us and from us. I guess what I really want to say about love is we have to be constantly reminded, reminded of our love for each other through our love for Christ and Christ's love for us. So to find out what John means when he says that God is love, or to discover what it looks like to love one another as Jesus has loved us, we don't look deep within ourselves. We don't look around us. We don't look at society or our families or the natural world. All of those things will enhance, but instead we look to the Lord and we look to his life And we look to all of his life, because there we will find it. In its depths and in its simplicity, we'll find what it means to be a Christian and what it really means when we talk about love. And there we will find our life and our life everlasting.